You're listening to the New City Church Sermon Podcast. We exist to love God, to love our neighbors, and to make known the good news of Jesus Christ. To this end, we seek to cultivate a spirit-filled, gospel-centered community that multiplies disciples of Jesus in churches for the glory of God, the joy of all people, and the good of the city. If you'd like to learn more about New City, including service times, discipleship pathways, and opportunities to serve and fellowship with us, please visit us online at newcitykc.org. This morning, we're going to be starting a new series called Coffee Cup Versus. Probably like, what in the world is that? Um, but you know, you know the ones, uh, the ones that are plastered on coffee cups, maybe t-shirts, the Lord's Gym, uh, maybe uh, as the deer pants for water, water, a little babbling brook, a little deer with the head tilted. Um, you know those coffee cup uh, verses. And so uh, before we get into the, the message this morning, I want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at Romans 8. And we know um, if you've been around here, uh, this is one of my favorite chapters in all of scripture. So I had to... To, uh, have an excuse to work it in uh, this morning. And so we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18, to give us a little context for where we're going with our first coffee cup uh, verse. And, um, and hopefully it'll all make a little more sense in just a moment here. But if you have a Bible, turn me to Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. I'm just going to read down to verse uh, 30. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you, or you can gra- uh, see it up on the screen uh, or on some cool device you have in your pocket, your mini uh, TV computer. Uh, you can check that out. So here's what it says, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revel- revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies." For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And this is the word of God for us this morning. So coffee cup versus coffee mug versus those ones on the shirts, those ones on maybe in your your kitchen, um, often taken out of context. Many ministries have been built on verses taken out of context. Many people have been bludgeoned with verses, really beautiful verses and promises from the word of God taken out of uh, context. And so as we look at these verses for the next uh, few weeks together, I, I do have a, a few goals and prayers and hopes because I, I, I first, my, my first hope and prayer 
prayer for this series is that we won't be self-righteous about this. <laughs> this isn't to look at the Bible and go like, we have all the answers. We know what it says. We, we get it right. Everybody else is, is foolish. And there's a couple of reasons why I say that, that we need to approach the scriptures with humility. Is One is even the scriptures themselves say, we only see through a glass dimly. We only see through a mirror dimly. We don't know everything. We don't see everything clearly this side of heaven. We need humility. We need wisdom. Even the Bible itself in Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that the secret things belong to the Lord. There are certain mysteries, there are certain things that God has not revealed to us that he keeps to himself. And one of my, my favorite verses is, is actually in, in 2 Peter 3.16. Peter, uh, the apostle of Jesus, who's writing this letter in, in, in the book of Peter, actually says that Paul, the apostle Paul, is really hard to understand. Like that's in the Bible. So like people that wrote the Bible are looking at other people that wrote the Bible going, yeah, he's a little bit difficult. Um, I don't know what he's saying all the time, um, but yeah. So, so there's a little bit of humility required when we approach uh, the text. And also it's important to remember that though this Bible is a, a divine book inspired by God, from God, it's written by humans and for humans. And so all of us come to the text with certain worldviews and experiences and expectations some of us have been discipled well in the text. Some of us have not, right? Some of us know the scriptures well. Some of us do not. So we bring all of this baggage to the text. And so we want to approach it with humility and wisdom and not be self-righteous about it. And I think, secondly, one of the things that our elders have talked about recently is, is just uh, cultivating kind of a, a, an air of discernment. As a, in, a, in a world, a noisy, saturated culture, and there's often nonsense thrown around on social media, the internet, and, and, um, and I heard everything on the internet's true, so we're okay there, but... Um, but there's some, some wisdom that needs to be cultivated that when we see these things, when we see these things thrown around, we see verses thrown around or truth thrown around or people just teaching or doing saying certain things is to have a filter in which we go, is that really what the scriptures say? Is that really true? Is that really wise? Is that really loving? Right? So, so to develop in us as we live our lives, as we are attacked, often bludgeoned by some of these texts is to develop some discernment and of how to say, no, I don't think that's true. Which also I think feeds into my third hope is that this is how we minister to people well. So, so when we're in crisis or we're challenged or we're suffering or we're going through a difficulty, right? How many times has someone thrown a verse at you and it was like, not the right time, right? Too soon, <laughs> right? Uh, where you're, you're dying on the vine, you're suffering and someone just like throws out a verse, well, you know, brother, all things work together for the good of those who love them, right? And you're just like, not now. Can I just have a hug? Um, Right? And it's not to diminish the word of God by any means, but there is a wisdom in how we, how we minister to each other. Well, our family, our friends, our coworkers, people that are going through difficulty, that we use the scriptures well because you and I have been called to be priests in our city and in the world. And so these are a few of my hopes and prayers for our series as we look at these coffee cup verses. And so let's jump into Romans 8 this morning. And, and Romans 8 is, again, one of my favorite chapters in Scripture. There's so much here. And, and what Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this, this chapter, writing this book, is, is answering the question, how do Christians face suffering and temptations and challenges within life with confidence and a deep assurance that it's not wasted? In, in other words, when you go through challenges, when you go through trials, when you go through sufferings, Paul's trying to answer the question, I want you to understand it's not wasted by God. It does have a purpose, a rhyme, and a reason behind it. It's not always clear. 
And, and I think it's also important that as we go through this series is that we're, we're trying to also learn how to read the Bible well. And, and when you look at the letters of the New Testament, especially, one of my professors in seminary was really helpful. He said, it's kind of like a game of telephone. Do you remember the old game where you put a can on your ear and then you had a string and then someone talked through the can and you try to discern what they're saying? Or maybe in those youth group games, you'd get in a big circle and someone would say something and you'd say it to the next person, the next person, and then by the, t- by the time it got to the, through 30 people, it was totally discombobulated, right? Remember this game? Nobody? Okay, that was a terrible illustration. Okay, you're like, well, I didn't go to youth group. I don't know what you're talking about. String, cans, what? I have the internet. No. Um, But you know what I'm talking about, right? So when you enter into the New Testament, what you're entering into is a conversation from a church going, hey, Paul, what do you think about this? And Paul is trying to answer the questions. And so a lot of reading the scripture is getting a close ear and going, what are they talking about? What is going on here that Paul would respond in the way that he did? And this morning, he's responding to the question of, how do I walk in confidence when life is falling apart? How do we face each day and its difficulties and its challenges? So let's look at that um, this morning. So the first thing I think we need to do from our text is we need to embrace a secured hope and future. We need to embrace a secured hope and future. Romans 8, uh, 18 is, is really clear on that. Notice what, what Paul says here. He's answering the questions, is our suffering worth it? Notice what he says in 18. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He's a realist. He understands. Suffering is real. It's going on. It might be going on in your life right now. It might be actively. You might be falling apart. Maybe you did in the past, but he's, he's answering the question, well, what do we do about that? And he says, yeah, suffering is real, but it doesn't compare to what is coming, this future. It doesn't compare to the glory that's going to be revealed in us, the redemption that is coming. Your life is difficult. There's challenges. It seems like history's falling apart. And yet in the midst of that, he says, it doesn't compare to what's coming, right? It, it gives them this future hope, the security that all is going to be well ultimately in the end. And there's a couple of reasons why he gives us that, that confidence because he says there's this cosmic groaning that's happening Right now, if you keep reading, it says, For the creation, verse 19, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. That the whole creation, everything you see is in this state of frustration, decay, disintegration. And it's all because of sin. Things don't work as they should. The world isn't as beautiful as it could be because of sin, because of evil. The, the, The cosmos, the entire creation walks with a limp. That even nature itself is alienated from us. Our neighbors are alienated from us. We're alienated from God because of sin. There's this great separation that has happened and things just don't work and function as they should. The world is wearing down. We even know from science that it's actually literally the energy in the world is wearing down. It will come to an end. We know from planting in your gardens that those Plants will grow and then they die, they wither, they have a lifespan. We know we come and we go. Everything has a lifespan, everything has a season. So nature even in itself, the cosmos in itself is revealing the pain and suffering of the world, right? 
No amount of kale is going to keep this thing going. All right? And I hate kale. It's from Satan, as you know. But there's also not only a cosmic groaning, but there's a personal groaning. Notice what, what Paul says. He says, we, we don't just feel it out there somewhere. We know the world isn't the way it's supposed to be. We know it walks with it. We know there's pain and struggle and injustice and, and ugliness. But he says, we feel that too as followers of Christ. Notice verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That because of the Spirit living in us, we go, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't right. Right? People aren't supposed to get cancer like this or die like this or lose their jobs like this. or Right? There shouldn't be injustice. Like, like we, we know things aren't right. Things aren't well. We know marriage is hard and relationships are hard and friendships are hard and people are just hard in general. We know deep in our bones the spirit testifies to yes and amen. Things are not right, but there's a redemption that's coming. That's why Paul can say, hey, suffering is real, but it doesn't compare to the glory that's coming, to the redemption that is coming. Just hang on for a little while longer. Now, I know that sounds like, well, that's great when you're in the midst of that. But, but I think there's this beautiful gift that Paul makes really clear is that the gift of the Spirit is this gradual work in our souls and in our lives that's weakening and deadening and restoring the effects of sin that are even in our lives. So it's not that, that God's done with us. It's not like just like, hey, wait, wait for heaven. One day it's coming and the whole world will be redeemed. It'll be awesome. And that's true in every way. But, but to know, as he said, this first fruit this, of the Spirit has come. And this first fruit is a deposit to guarantee. It's a, a witness, a reminder that this is coming. You can bank your life on it because of the work of Christ. That the work he began in you, he will complete one day. That there will be a day where there will be, as we read and we sang this morning, there will be no more tears and no more pain and no more suffering. No more injustice. That will be a blip and the radar of history. And let me tell you, church, because he says he, later in, in the bottom of chapter 8 and verse 29, he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son, that, that, that in your redemption, God even bringing you into his family, into relationship, is actually the promise of he's making you more like Jesus. That through suffering, through tri trial, through challenges, God is conforming you to be more like the son. That's the reason you were became a child of God. That's why you became a Christian. That's God's full plan and purpose. is isn't just to get a ticket to heaven, but he's actually going to change us and awaken in us and fashion us and transform us to be more like the son. And, and church, amen, it's gradual and it's slow and it's painful and it's difficult, right? Amen, and anybody? They're like, no, I got it nailed. I feel like I haven't sinned since 1983. No, everything's fine, pastor. I don't know what you're talking about. No, no, no. It's painful and struggle and nobody wants to talk about that. Everybody loves the testimony of the person who just came to faith like four minutes ago and it's like yeah, walking on water, but they don't want to talk about five, 10, 15 years in. It's challenging. Suffering comes, trials comes, loss comes, doubts come, right? But the spirit is at work in the midst of suffering and, and redemption is coming and, and, and not only redemption of, of the cosmos but also our own redemption. And what's amazing in this, and this is why I'm trying to give you context before we get to Romans 8.28, the coffee cup verse, is that if we embrace this future hope, it allows us, as it says in our text, to wait patiently. 
Did you see it? In verse 23 and 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I don't know about you, but I lack patience, like with everything. My own, you know, I should be further along uh, than this. Like my wife asked me very lovingly and, and gingerly and, and graciously, hey, honey, um, <clears throat> we have these, these bushes in our house. And, uh, uh, and I was supposed to put the bushes in the ground. Uh, they've been sitting kind of next to the house for a long time. Because um, I don't know about you, but digging holes and putting bushes isn't easy and it's not fun. And it's just not my spiritual gift. I've tried to tell my wife this. She just doesn't accept that. Um, I'm just like, I have pastor hands. You know, that's just how. Um, so yesterday I decided like on the hottest day of the century to, to do that. And that was not wise. And I did it um, also not having eaten or been hydrated very well. Um, so I just like, just blew up on my wife. Like, I just, I don't know, I had a meltdown. I'm just like, I'm not good at this, and I don't know what I'm doing. Stop bossing me around. And anyway. But I was reflecting on that, thinking, Ryan, why aren't you further along than this? Like, you're a child, <laughs> right? You're acting like a child. Like, I was acting like a child. You can ask my wife. And these moments where you just go, like, it's so slow and it's painful. Shouldn't we be further along than we are? But when we have this future hope and we see that the future is secure, we wait for it patiently. Now, one of the reasons we have a hard time waiting with patience is because we're enamored and obsessed with the scene. You see what Paul says here? It's the scene is the problem. Why are you hoping in what is seen? So you're looking at everything that is tangible, everything you can see with your eyes, and then you make assumptions, oh, this is what that is. This is how it's going to be. So we're looking for that gift of, I need to see tangible evidence that this is true. And he says, that's not hope. Because the hope is coming in the future where God's going to redeem all things. But you can't see it tangibly with your eyes. Now, you get glimpses of it. You get little tastes of it. You get little foretastes of it when somebody actually begins to live lovingly and graciously and forgivingly. You go, whoa, what is that? You get little glimpses when someone serves somebody who's falling apart or serves the poor or the hungry or, right? You get little glimpses of goodness and grace, right? You get these glimpses, but that's not the whole picture. And we get all excited in culture, right? When we see something change, we're like, oh, look at all the, all the progress. And that's, that's good and well and right, but that's the scene. That's not where our hope lies. And, and so when things are falling apart, we can say, no, I can wait for it patiently even when I don't see quick progress, whatever that may be for myself or for the whole world. Because we know that God, even in the midst of suffering, is redeeming all things. I love what C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity. He said, God will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a god or goddess, dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful, but that is what we are in for, nothing less. He meant what he said. And I think on, a, on the human scale, we kind of know that that's all true. That anything good in your life that has come has often come through pain and struggle, right? Almost always. Like, like the, the guy who's just like, well, I'm just killing it. And I just, you know, I had this idea and I just, you know, put my uh, business out on the internet. And, you know, two days later, I was bigger than Amazon. You know, it's like th that, no, 
There's always a story behind it. Like, no, actually, it was 10 years of grinding and losing money and falling on my face and bankruptcy. And right, right. It's like anything almost good in our lives comes through suffering, comes through struggle. And we don't like those people anyways. It's like, I don't know. I just had an idea. And it just, you know, nothing ever goes wrong with for me. But I think Christians, because of this, should be the most patient and humble people on the planet. Not, not in an, an arrogant way that, that we have this, this patience and we're better th- than you, but it's to know that God is up to something in the world and he's making all things new so that when we see all the fear and the panic on social media or TV or in our neighborhoods or, or, or in our lives, whatever it is, is that we can look at those situations with our eyes and go, that's not the full picture. That's not the last say. That's not the whole thing. Because I have a bigger hope that's coming in the future. And that's what Paul's trying to get into our bones. Now, once we see that and once we, we, we embrace that, then it's like, okay, now how can I help like the good Samaritan? What, what can I do? Maybe I can help out. Maybe I can do something about it or maybe not. This isn't a passivity. This is not passivity but patiently because we have this hope. Secondly, we, we also need to develop a spirit-driven, what I'm calling a spirit-driven prayer life. Is that what Paul brilliantly does is he pulls back the camera and he, he says, let's get some perspective that God is healing this world and you. Things are hard. There's trials. There's challenges. We fall on our face often. But I want you to know there's a bigger thing that God's doing in history. There's a bigger thing God's doing with the world. You're going to face some stuff. <laughs> but the spirit is there to help you. This is why, again, we're reading this in context before we get to Romans 8, 28, our coffee cup verse, because this all kind of builds on each other. You'll see the whole picture soon. Verse 26, like the wise, the spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what it is, the mind of the spirit, because of the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of of God. There's a, there's a lot here, but let me just say a couple things about that. Is that your hope and your future is secured. If you're in Christ, God is redeeming us. We know the, the, the whole cosmos is aching and groaning and falling apart. We feel it in our bones. We know things aren't, aren't right. We can embrace that God is making all things new. But then this other gift comes along. As he says, I, actually, by the Spirit, I want to help you in your praying. That seems odd. You ever found yourself trying to pray and not having the right words? Your, your life ever been so falling apart you don't even know what to say to God? You don't know what to ask? Anybody? Yeah? All the time. But what do we do in those moments where he says, hey, even in those moments, because again, connecting it back to the groaning cosmos, things are going to get difficult. There's going to be challenges and there's going to be times where you don't even have the right words to pray or even have words themselves, but the Spirit's going to come along and help you even in those moments. To give you words that aren't even maybe tangible words. They're words beyond words. To remind you that all things are going to work out in the end because God is with you. The Spirit is with you. There's going to be a human language or vocabulary that's going to fail, but the Spirit's going to come along to help you. Now, notice how it says the Spirit, in verse 26, intercedes for us. Not with us, for us. That, that, that um, you know the song, Jesus Takes the Wheel? 
more like spirit take the wheel. That's a little more theologically accurate here. That in those moments, sorry, that I had to go over bigger, but um, <laughs> like Jesus take the wheel, spirit take the wheel, that should be a, a t-shirt. Um, when we don't know what to pray, when the words fail, guess what? The spirit comes along and intercedes for us. In other words, let me come in, let me take over. You're not, he, because here's what it's doing, because he searches your heart and knows what you are. Do you notice the, the name of God here for the spirit? It's he who searches your heart. In other words, he looks at your life in that moment and goes, I know what you're going through. I see you. I see the pain. I see the doubt. I see the depression. I see the suffering. And the Spirit comes along and helps us pray and actually prays for us. Think about how gracious and good God is that he would do that. Like how much theology and teaching and preaching have you heard just like, well, you got to be more motivated. You got to be more committed. You got to get your stuff together. You got to be more faithful. But here's what it says is actually God sees you and knows that there are times where you just don't have anything to give or words to say and the spirit is going to come along and help you in that moment. That says a lot about God's nature and God's character. I'm not leaving you alone. I know the world's a mess, but I'm making it new. I'm redeeming all things. I'm moving in to intercede for you. And he's going to intercede in a way according to God's will. I love that in verse 27. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You ever prayed and go like, am I even supposed to pray that? Is that selfish? Right? I don't even know what to ask for. Right? Like if I ask for a Lamborghini, is that wrong? I haven't asked that, maybe, maybe a couple times. But that was just like, you know, I would gift it to the church, and I would, I mean, I was like, Lord, I, you know what I would do with it, right? I mean, I'd drive it around first, but, you know, I mean, right? Sometimes we don't even know what to pray. We don't have the words, but the Spirit's also saying, hey, I'm going to help you actually pray really well according to the purposes of God. So even when we don't know if those are the right words, the Spirit's going to come along and go, hey, I got you. <laughs> I'm going to make this right. I'm going to make sure that you pray rightly, that, that God's purposes will be fulfilled in your life. Think about the, the gift that is that now we can become better prayers because of this. There's not all this pressure, like I have to perform, right? Like, you know some people who perform in their prayers, right? All of a sudden they're like King James, like they're speaking some like Shakespearean, like, oh, hither God, you know, oh, wise one, holy. You're like, what? What is going on, Bob? Um. But, but in that place, in that struggle, in that challenge, we can come confidently. We can come to God like who's a friend and who loves us and who's interceding for us and say, God, I don't know what to pray, but I believe that your spirit will intercede for me and I believe that he'll help me pray according to your will for your purposes in my life and in the world. I can bank my life on that. And I think in, the, in, our, in our moment is that if we begin to kind of lean into the unseen. If we know that God is at work and healing and redeeming all things, I think in humility we can, we can say that, that, God, I don't see your plans in full. I don't know what they are because I can't see them with my eyes, but I know that you're working out all things for the good of those who love you. Especially when things are hard, right? We've all prayed those prayers. We've all walked through those seasons of just... Lord, I don't understand why this is happening. I, I don't know what the purpose of this is. This happened, happened to us years ago um, when our daughter passed away. And it was, there, there were moments of bitterness, genuine moments of like, I know you say Romans 8, 28, but I just don't see it. I don't understand it. Like, what's the point, right? 
And then you start turning it on yourself. You're like, maybe if I was more faithful, maybe if I worked out more, maybe if, you know, maybe if I was, you know, more gracious to people, maybe if I didn't have as much sin in my life, maybe that wouldn't have happened, right? You go through all of these weird things. But you know what's amazing in the scriptures is that God even works through our sin and our doubts and our fears. We have so many examples in scripture. Joseph being pummeled by his brother, thrown in a well. And in Genesis 50, he says, hey, they meant it for evil. They meant it for sin, but God, you meant it for good. I mean, sometimes we got to get thrown in a well, metaphorically, or literally, who knows, right? Daniel, right, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar, this evil king, right? God is working through Daniel and his faithfulness and his friends' faithfulness to make sure his purposes and plans come to fruition. King David and his sin, his adultery, his murder, all those things God was working even through his sin to make sure his purposes prevailed, that one day a king would come through the line of David, and you know who that king is. If you don't, talk to me afterwards. His name is Jesus. When in doubt, always say Jesus. You'll be, ant- you'll be right 50% of the time. But God wants us to develop a spirit-driven prayer life that, that these truths should, should bolster in us this, this ability to pray even in difficulty and struggle. Why? Because we know that the spirit is helping us in our weakness, right? And when I was planting those bushes yesterday, believe me, there was a lot of prayer going on, maybe a tear or two. Um, God, help me. I'm not good at this. I don't know what to do. Help me not act like a fool to my wife, all those things, because they see my own weakness. We see our limitations, and that's a gift to us to know what we're really like and who we really are, but God is at work. And then last, and again, this is why I spent a lot of time in in the context of here, is we celebrate the good and gracious work of God in all things. Here's, Here's our coffee cup. Verse, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So these last few verses, what he's done is he's pulled back the camera and said, hey, I want you to know about this groaning creation. I want you to know about this groaning inside of you by the spirit that all is not well. You're going to fall down. You're going to face trial. This is a church that is persecuted. This is a church that that doesn't have any clout in the culture. This is a, a church that's going like, God, where is God in all of this? I feel like we don't have any say. We don't have any opportunities. We're just kind of pushed to the side. He says, but, but I want you to, to know that, yeah, th- this is the world in which we live in. It's really difficult. But I also want you to know the Spirit's coming to help you, you pray. That in your weakness, when you don't even have words to pray, when life is falling apart, I'm going to help you in the midst of that. And that's why Paul can confidently say, because even through all things, God is working good through it. The good and the bad that we have to look to that secured future. We have to, to look to the prayer and say there's a spirit, the spirit of God will come in and help us. And there's a couple things that, that, that help us celebrate the good and gracious work of God in all things. There's a couple things here from our text. Notice what's possible. There can be a great gratitude and joy even in the mundane and routine things and good things that God gives us. And here's why. Paul doesn't say that things work together for good by themselves. He's not looking to the thing itself, whatever that thing is. Whatever that experience is, that relationship, that opportunity. Whatever. He's not saying that's the whole thing. It's not, the, the, it's not good in that thing. We, could, we actually should translate the text as God works all things together for good. But I think even a better way is God works in all things for the good. 
That's actually a better translation here. God works in all things for the good, the good and the bad. That's why you can see the mundane, everyday things as an opportunity to give praise and gratitude and joy and experience joy and go, thank you, God, for that. Like I went swimming with, with my kids yesterday. What a gift that was when it's 192 degrees out. And there's two goals when dad takes the kids to the pool. One is make sure they don't drown. And two is make sure they have sunscreen on. And we ran out of sunscreen. No one drowned, right? But I was just thanking God for this, this, just this moment of just being with the kids and just enjoying it, saying, God, it didn't have to go well. They could have drowned, right? They, things could have went off the rails, right? They could have had third-degree burns because dad doesn't know how to use sunscreen. But it didn't. And so in those moments, it's saying, even in that, God, I give you praise. I give you glory for the good that I experienced today. It didn't have to go well, but it did. Thank you for it. But it's the God who allows that to happen. That's where the praise goes, not the thing itself. And, and I think that's important because Christians should have a, what I call a low bar of anthropology. People aren't as good as you think they are. The, the scriptures make it really clear, all people fall short of the glory of God. All the people are fractured and flawed because of sin. And so if we understand that, we understand the world's going to, bad things are going to happen. Like all the time. Right? Like, we should be shocked when they do. Like, it's funny. We, Christians are, like, online and in person. It's like, what, what are we doing? Like, we're shocked when someone's, like, abusive to someone else. And I'm not saying that's right or good, but, but it's the reality of the world in which we live in. Right? At least that's what I read from Scripture. And so, if we have this low view of the world, <laughs> that it's not always a nice place, we shouldn't be shocked and disillusioned and become hard when bad things happen. Right? Because we know that in the midst of those things, God is even at work. His grace and his power and his mercy is in the work. Those things don't have the last say. And then when things work out for the Christian, we don't say, yep, that's the way it should go. (laughs) No. We say, thank you, God, for working this out in my life. Didn't have to go that way, right? The job didn't have to work out, but it did, right? The kid didn't have to get better, but they did, right? But thank you for that. That was not guaranteed. That's not owed to us. And that's a little bit of what was going on in my soul when our daughter passed away was, God, you owe me. I give my life to serve you. I want to have kids, and now you're taking them away. You owe me. That was in me. But I realized he doesn't owe us anything, and I realized that I don't, he does, he's not celebrating that loss of a child, but, but, but knowing through it, there's great good that comes out of it. And I can tell you a million examples I want to this morning, but. So we can maintain, a, I think, a positive attitude but not fall in the trap of sentimentality and unrealistic view of things, right? I mean, we live in this very hyped-up culture. It's just like you can do anything. There's no limits, right? All of a sudden, we're godlike, right? You dream it. You think it. You can do it, right? Until you realize you're human and you need sleep and you need food and you need water and you need opportunity and you need money and you have not, not to live in an African village. Like, but there's certain people that don't have the same privileges and opportunities that we do, And yet, so we have to have a realistic view of sometimes things are going to fall apart. That's why the the danger of like the dream job, right? We all want the dream job, right? If I just had this job, it would be perfect. Until you realize that humans work there. (laughs) And they're screwing up the whole thing. Like this is the best job ever until all these people have to work here. Right? Like Larry, pipe down. You're ruining my dream job. Thorn and thistles. 
But I also think there's another piece. Not only we can find that joy and, and gratitude and just kind of mundane good things in life, but it also removes this fear of anxiety when things go wrong. When trials come, when suffering comes, when trial comes, when, when temptation comes, we, we think that God has left us, right? Why is this happening? Am I not faithful, right? I fell into that. Am I not praying enough? Am I not giving enough? Am I, you know, am I, what, what is going on here? But go back to verse 16, right above the verses we read in Romans 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The Spirit reminds us that you belong to God even in the midst of suffering. In Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you love God, you're trusting God, there is no condemnation. If you hear condemnation in your heart or your spirit, that's the enemy, that's not... That's not Jesus. He never speaks a word of condemnation to his people, to his children, ever. Because that was done away with on the cross. We deserved condemnation, yes, but by the work of Jesus and faith in him, we are, his righteousness becomes our own righteousness. So he says, you're loved, you're forgiven, you're a saint. You're my kids, I love you. And so, in the midst of difficulty and trial, when we start to doubt as God with us, we can look and go, no, Jesus suffered in the same sin-scarred world. Jesus came and, and suffered as part of, in the same creation that's groaning, in the, same, in the same ways that we are growing for it all to be made right. And so when we have a, a verse like Romans 8, 28, it's important for us to use it wisely and sensitively we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those um, called according to his purpose. Those who love, love God, some translations, uh, or love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose, excuse me. Those who love God, when someone's falling apart, it's not the time to just throw a verse at them. A lot of times, this is what, what little Andy sitting in the back there, he's, done, he's been in ministry for uh, longer than I've been alive, but... Um, We've been in many hospital rooms and people falling apart, dying, difficulty. And sometimes you think as a pastor that you have the perfect words to say. It's like, oh, we went to seminary, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to first say this and this and this. But the reality is when someone is falling apart, often it's just sitting there with them, hugging them, listening to them, praying with them, and not saying a whole lot. 90% is just showing up, right? So we have these great promises, and I don't want to diminish these, these promises because they are good promises, but we need the context to understand why we can say things like this, that God is working good in even the difficulties and challenges and sufferings that we face because we know of the context is that God's, sorry, I got to flip over my thing that God's not done redeeming the whole thing. So all we see is the scene. All we see is this moment. All we see is the loss. All we see is the suffering. But the beauty of Scripture is it pulls back the camera and lets us see a, a bigger picture, a bigger vision. Now, when you're suffering and challenged a minute in, you don't really see the bigger picture. <laughs> you have to kind of step back and go, okay, yeah, this is hard. But I, I see that you're not done with me. I see that the Spirit is at work in me. I see that, that, that you are making all things new and that, that you're teaching me through this. And it's really important, I think, in moments like 
these to to see this this good because I think sometimes even in the good things when things don't go right as it can harden our hearts towards God it can make us bitter towards God like we don't we shouldn't have this we shouldn't suffer like this we shouldn't go through these things I see it all the time difficulty comes trial comes they just bail I'm out but but to remember that that God is in the midst of that that our Savior suffered in that way that that through the the bad stuff the hard stuff the good stuff's coming there's nothing that that compares to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. Now, remember who's saying all these things. This sounds like a lot of Christian cliches. Just suck it up, brother. Suck it up, sister. Right? God's at work. You know, you'll see the good. At, you know, at some point. <laughs> Do you know who Apostle Paul is? The one who was beaten, the one who was an inch from his life, the one who almost starved to death, the one who got bitten by snakes, the one who was persecuted, the one who was thrown in jail. Notice what he, he says here in verse um, 28, and we know, that's a declarative statement. He says that with confidence, and we know. How can you say that, Paul? Because I've been near death. I've suffered. I've been through trial. I've been in prison. I thought it was all over and game over, and I saw God come through. I saw him meet me. I saw him come near me to tell me and remind me that the Spirit is at work, that even though the creation groans and I groan, I haven't left you, Paul. Paul doesn't speak as an armchair theologian. He doesn't speak out of things he doesn't know. He knows them full well, and he can talk to us even 2,000 years later and say, hey, church, things are going to get really difficult in many different ways. But I want you to know nothing compares to the glory that's going to be revealed in us and through us, that the whole cosmos is going to be renewed because of the life and death and resurrection of Christ. You can bank your life on that. How good would it be for us to really embrace that? And I think this is really practical and tangible. Like the day-to-day, just the challenges of parenting, the challenges of marriage, the challenges of work, the challenges of our bodies falling apart, just the challenges of the things going on around us in the world, that we could just, just pause for a moment and when we see something that's just wrong and off and painful, that we could just kind of, kind of gospel our, ourselves and go, nope, that's not it, that's not the scene, that's not the scene. That's not the hope. That's not hope. It's not there. It's, it's coming. God promised it's, it's coming. When I don't know what to pray, what if we just were humble enough to say, God, I don't even know what to say, but I believe your spirit's going to come and help me pray what I need to pray according to your will. I'm falling apart here, but you know. You know what I'm going through, right? That's the scandalous reality of the cross, that God died for us knowing everything about us. Like we can read, he searches all hearts and go like, oh, that's terrifying. Or we can look at it as God searches all hearts by his spirit, knows everything about us, and says, I still love you and I'm with you. Who's like that? Right? We find out someone, you know, something weird online. We're like, done, canceled, not talking to that guy anymore. He kicks puppies. Right? Well, all of us kick puppies in some ways in our hearts, in many different ways and shapes and forms, don't we? And here's God Gracious, good, heavenly Father, by his spirit, seeing all of that stuff. Seeing the ways you talk to your spouse and your friends and the wickedness in your own heart. And he says, but I'm not leaving you. I'm working out everything, all things, for the good of those who love me and trust me. 
And I think it's an important reminder for us as a church is that even in the history of the church and the history of God's people, God had to remind them often that what they have and what they've received is all grace and all gift. And I've mentioned this text many times over the years. Deuteronomy chapter 8 Moses is speaking to God's people and just reminding them. He says, hey, I'm leading you to the promised land. But when you get to the promised land, I want you to remind you of a very important thing. Don't let your hearts get hard. Don't become arrogant to think that everything you have in life is owed to you because it's not. It's all a gift of grace from me. Deuteronomy 8, 11, take care lest you forget the Lord your God, not by keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your hearts will be lifted up. And what? And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In other words, the things that are seen can blind you to the unseen. Do you hear what I said? The things that are seen can blind you to the unseen. Look at all the things I have. Look what I did. Just pulled up my bootstraps, did it all. Well, it's like, yeah, you actually were born in a country and had education and have clean water. That helps. Who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there were no water, who brought you with water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness and manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest your heart say in your heart, my power and my might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you the power even to get wealth. (laughs) That's not a very popular American verse. (laughs) He gives you the power to even make the wealth. So let's be humble about it, right? You have to have a certain mind and ability and skill set. That's all from God. So don't puff yourself up. Don't think that everything is owed to you, that all the good in our lives is because God is gracious and good and he's working out all things for the good of those who love him. And I think this is super important because we know that in life you can have a lot of things and no things and still be bitter and angry and have no joy, right? We, we know that. We can lack contentment with everything and nothing. And the other way around. We can have nothing and have extreme joy and we can have a lot of things and have extreme joy knowing that everything has been given to us by a gracious God who's working all things for our good.